0: morning, church. My name is Justin. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to, to see you all here with us today. Um, I want to start by asking a question. Uh, I promise it's not a judgy question, but it might come across that way. How often do you pick up your phone every day? I want you to guess. You don't have to shout it out. Uh, not even to use it necessarily, right? Sometimes just to see. Uh, maybe you felt that phantom vibration, or you thought uh, you, you might have heard it, so you got to check just in case. Uh, most smartphones nowadays, they track that. They can tell you, they can tell you that. Not just, not just screen time, not just how much time you're on your phone, how many times you pick up your phone. For the sake of transparency and out of care for all of you, I'm going to publicly share my stats so you don't have to. According to uh, my iPhone this week, my average daily number of pickups was just over 90. Okay, which is about average for users back in 2019. So I feel pretty vindicated on the other side of COVID that I'm doing pretty well. 90 pickups a day is about five times an hour or uh, every 12 minutes, which seems, you know, some people might be like judging me right now, but I think that's not too bad. The bulk of my pickups is for messages, which might mean I'm popular, <laughs> or I need to get off some group chats. And then it's social media and email. That's primarily what I use my phone for. And so to return to the initial question, how often do you pick up your phone during the day? I want I want you to, to, to guess and then go check if you can do that, or just pay attention to it during your day. Think about how often you... You pick up your phone and see how you do. Uh, Are you even aware of when you pick up your phone? All the times that you pick up the phone. And the reason I ask is because, as Jocelyn mentioned today, what we're talking about is worship. We're in the middle of a sermon series entitled Practice Makes Progress. And each week we're focusing on one of our anchoring core practices as a church, worship, community, and mission these three practices together, they contribute to holistic, multidimensional living. These three were meant to be engaged in all three of them together. It's all three together that lead us on a path of flourishing. And so each week, two of our staff will share the pulpit. Uh, last week, Nikki and Watson led us off with mission. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, we should get, we should. It was good. That was not cute at all. Uh, Next week, Andrea and Lisa will preach on community. And today, our Worship Arts Director, Jocelyn Henderson, and I will be talking about worship. Now, the word worship comes from an old English word that means to give worth to, to acknowledge worth. And what I want to suggest today is that in the context of worship as a core practice for Christ City, for each of us as individuals and for all of us as a community, worship is about attention attention. And intention. Worship is about attention and intention. Worship is not just the music, and I say that for both on behalf of both Jocelyn and myself, who for many decades now have been referred to often and sometimes by, by ourselves as worship leaders. It's the term that, that, that we get that gets applied to us sometimes, but that's specifically referring to the musical portion of corporate worship in our gatherings. Worship isn't just the music, unless your worship ends when the music fades. Some people got that. Some people got that. It's a musical reference. Now don't get me wrong, music can be a tremendous, and, it can be an aid to our worship, right? Because of the ways it engages other parts of our being, our voices, our emotions, our bodies, as we clap and dance and move, but music on its own is not worship. Even songs that include Christian words aren't always worship. We could be singing those words and not worshipping. Just like you could be having a conversation with someone and not really be present. We've all been there, right? We've all experienced that. With a coworker, a a family member, a friend, or a spouse, or significant other. You're talking, but you know know they aren't paying attention. I'm not here to cause strife. I'm just naming things. They may be on their phone. They may be looking over your shoulder. They may be thinking about something else. It may have nothing to do with you and still it might feel deflating, disappointing, disconnecting. Maybe a little, but maybe a lot. French mystic Simone Weil said, Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. It's a valuable commodity our attention. What we pay attention to is what we give worth to. We're saying with our actions this has value, this is worth focusing on, this is worth spending time and energy on. And so what or who are you paying attention to? What or who are you giving worth to? The Bible has many examples of worship. We might think of all of the Psalms, those songs of worship that the people of Israel would have sung. Or we might think of Miriam, the sister of Moses, dancing after they crossed through the Red Sea. Or or, or of David singing the songs that he wrote as a shepherd boy. But when it comes to what worship is, there are two particular verses that stand out to me. And they're the ones that we heard earlier. First, it's Jesus uh, saying... uh, From the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, he says, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Love is the greatest commandment. See, love is the commission and the calling of every human being, of all of us who are made in the image of the God who is love. And while love may consist of more than attention and intention, it certainly does not consist of less than attention and intention. And that's why we have Paul's words in Colossians, which he echoes elsewhere as well. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, right Gus? Yeah. Yeah. This is why we at Christ City describe worship as our lived response collectively and individually to God's great love displayed in the work of Christ and our shared life in the Spirit. It is attention and it is intention. It is bringing all of who you are and all of what you do to engage with the reality of God and the realities of God. It's waking up to the reality that in the words of Dutch philosopher and politician Abraham Kuyper, there is not one square inch of this entire creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry out. This is mine. This belongs to me. Over and over in Scripture, we hear the refrain to the people of Israel, remember, remember, do not forget. Over and over, we hear the lament of God, "You've, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten what I said to you. Not in the way of a whiny child, but in the way of a grieving parent or partner, friend, as if to say, you've... You've forgotten that life and liberation are found in me. You've forgotten that I'm always working to deliver the disinherited. You've forgotten that I am with you always. You are, you've forgotten that you are loved. You've forgotten that I made this world and that it is mine. You've forgotten that I rescued you and you too are mine. Bringing attention, bringing our attention and intention to bear in worship. It doesn't mean that you know we're we're reading the Bible all the time, or that we're speaking out our prayer requests all the time, or that we're singing songs all the time. It's tuning ourselves into the deeper realities beneath the one we see. It's engaging with God as we work and as we walk around wherever we go and wherever we stay. As we heard last week, it's becoming as aware as we can that this universe and everything we might experience in our time on this pale blue dot is shops through with the dna of the god who is love that there is goodness and there is beauty and there is joy even amidst hard times and the promise of god is that good will outlast evil that beauty will overcome tragedy that joy will come in the morning Writer Anne Lamott puts it this way If you are paying attention, plenty is being revealed. Let me invite Jocelyn to come on.
1: Thanks, Justin. I'm Jocelyn, as Justin just let you all know, the director of worship arts here at Christ City. Though I'm new to the Christ City Church family, I'm not new to church. I've been in church my entire life. Um, Can I tell you a bit of my story? Is that okay? By the time I came along in August of 1989, (laughs) my (laughs) my father had been preaching for several decades and was in about his fifth year of pastoring. I was born in Oak Park, Illinois, a suburb west of Chicago, As I mentioned, my father was and still is a black Baptist preacher. My mother is a pastor's kid that swore she wouldn't marry a preacher and still ended up doing so after three months of dating my dad. In the 80s, it was different then. (laughs) My mother and her sisters are bona fide singers. Though my mother's career has changed throughout my lifetime from working in education to working in supply chain management and to now being a college recruiter, the one thing she could never get away from was singing. The same is equally true about my father who's worked in education, retail, and even sold that insurance that everybody's parents sold in the 80s. Um, But he's the epitome of a preacher. So my father's a preacher and my mother's a singer. I find myself somewhere in the middle of the two of them doing what God has uniquely called me to do, music ministry. I like to think that God has called me to preach the word of God through song, particularly the work that I've been called to meet at the intersection of Big C Church, music, uh, black sacred music, and social justice. The road certainly was not easy, but I'm grateful for the journey. I grew up a pastor's kid, so I was at church all week long from Sunday to Sunday, Um, I was a member of the junior usher board, one of the praise dancers, and of course was in all the children and youth choirs. I came came up watching my mother sing solos on Sunday morning with such power and conviction that I hoped to one day grow up and have. I knew I could sing because I came from a line of singers, but singing well in the black church was not nearly enough. Um, You had to have power or what some might today refer to as the oil. The way I understood it then and even up to now, the ministry through music had to come from a deep spiritual connection to the divine that only came out of a relationship with them. My mother was able to minister to other people because in the learning and singing of the songs, she'd already ministered to herself. Singing well was one thing, but singing with power was another. Admittedly, I didn't go to church much once I was in college. I mean, I was a teenager and a 20-something in the city of Atlanta experiencing freedom from my parents and from church members who were watching me very closely, um, as they do PKs. But (laughs) I was a member of the college's premier vocal ensemble, the Spelman College Glee Club, for all four years of undergrad. So singing a song like, I thank you, God foremost this amazing day. A song that was written as uh, from a poem by E.E. Cummings but was set to music um, that evoked an undeniable emotional response in me. I felt like church was happening in Fine Arts 107 when I was in rehearsal learning art songs, Negro spirituals, and gospel music. It was in that room that I joined my voice with others to make something beautiful. I was only one person singing a part on a page, but united with my sisters in song, we made meaningful music that served as the soundtrack to my college days. Once I graduated, I did a term of service with AmeriCorps at a juvenile psychiatric facility in Douglasville, Georgia. And after the term of service ended, I had some hard decisions to make. I was living in my parents' investment property in Georgia, so I was fine staying there as I discerned what was next. After over four months of unemployment, I came on as a staff singer at the historic Friendship Baptist Church under the direction of an esteemed professor of church music at Candler School of Theology at Emory University named Dr. James Abington. Friendship holds a very special place in my heart as my alma mater, Spelman College, held their first classes in the basement there back in 1881 when the school was known as Atlanta Baptist Female Seminary. When I came to Friendship, I was simply interested in making enough money to put gas in my tank because my home church, just a few exits from Friendship where I was serving as the young adult choir director didn't pay me. Nevertheless, my call to music ministry occurred at that home church back in 2013. This was the year that changed my life. It was Family and Friends Day, and I was slated to lead Return O Backslider, a 1984 gospel choir classic by Minister Walter Hawkins. Nothing welcomes family and friends to church like a song about backsliding, right? (laughs) I was nervous about getting up to lead a song that day because I knew that in addition to the hundreds of members at that church, there would be, at my church, there would be other people in the congregation visiting. I prayed that day like I pray even still that God would strip away all that I am and that God's light would shine through me as I ministered. I got up to lead the sermonic selection. That ain't it. (laughs) One moment, please. All right. I prayed that day, (laughs) like I pray even still, (laughs) that God would strip away all that I am and that God's light would shine through me as I ministered. I got up to lead the sermonic selection, and near the end of the song, I ad-libbed. That was it. I heard it. I lived as the Holy Spirit gave me the words and inserted my own testimony about how God had given me new life in them. The song said, he will come and give new life more abundantly if only you'd return unto him. As I sang, it ministered to me and based on the response from people in the congregation, it ministered to them as well. God spoke clearly to me that day and let me know that people in the congregation were being formed by the things we sang. I learned that my calling was to minister through song as the pastor got up and decided not to do his sermon as the word had already gone forth through music. After that Sunday, I started looking up church music programs. I was like, I'm ready, let's do it. After a conversation with my... After a conversation, my mentor, Dr. Abington, encouraged me to apply to Baylor University to do graduate school there. However, before I would apply, he asked what I was doing that summer and offered me an opportunity to move to Houston, Texas and work with him at, the, at a Black Southern, Black Southern Baptist megachurch there. I would be able to observe my mentor um, who I call the Black Church Music Laureate, at work, and then begin studying at Baylor University. One single month passed between my conversation with Doc and packing up my car to move to Houston. My life has been on an uphill trajectory since we had that conversation nearly a decade ago. I was able to experience, to learn from, and grow from my time in Houston, as well as my time in Waco, where Baylor is. My leap of faith in asking for advice to pursue church music academically has led to a lifelong pursuit of God's voice while I minister with my own. Justin has laid the groundwork for what worship is and what it means to worship individually. What I hope to leave you with this morning is what it means to worship with you all here at Christ City. Echoing Justin's earlier sentiment, we should live a life of worship. Worship, according to Harold Best in his um, Unceasing Worship book, says, uh, Worship is the outpouring response of all that I am into a receiving source that the source may continually pour back into me. For as long as I live, I will worship God. When we meet on Sunday mornings here at Minor, this shouldn't be the only time we worship God. Again, Justin just said it. Worship should be a life practice. As the Colossians text reminds us, whatever we do should be done in the name of the Lord. Everything we do before, during, and after our service here points back to God. The smallest of details when traced back up from the macro to the micro and sending it back up points us back to God. We roll out the carpet, to the glory of God, because Psalm 150 says, let the timbrel brass, high-sounding cymbal, and everything, everything that hath breath, like we sang in the song before, praises God. We create QR codes and short URL web addresses that allow us to live in community with one another, connecting with small groups, volunteering for local events, and even giving support even giving to support the mission of the church. Things like the Lord's Prayer are explicitly connecting us to a faith that goes beyond the folks in this room. Less obvious are things like wiping down chairs, yet God is getting glory from that as well. I believe everything that's happened before getting here has led me to Christ City. Again, my mother impressed upon me early that when it comes to ministry, it has to minister to the individual before it ministers to the collective. So when you see me up here, emotional, crying and bent over, it's out of a deep well of gratitude for the God that I serve. The music, the song has done its work on me because it, and because it has, I can minister it faithfully to all of you. What is the source that you continually pour into? Does that thing, or that person for me, it's Beyoncé's Renaissance album but does that thing <laughs> does that thing or that person have the capacity or the ability to pour back? If not, I suggest you develop a habit of worshiping.
0: Thanks, Jocelyn, for that, um, that reminder, that, that story. And, and as you hear Jocelyn's story and her motivation for, for worship and why she worships, I want you to think about your own. What is it that you're grateful for? What is it that motivates you? All of us have something that get, keeps, gets us going in the morning, that, that, that motivates our decisions. Bob Dylan would say, you've got to serve somebody. We're all being discipled by somebody. We're all giving our attention to something. We're all saying that something has value, has worth. What is that for you? And is it worth it? Is it really worth it? We practice worship so we can connect with the source of all love and life and goodness and justice and hope. That's why I do it. Because that's what I need in this world. At any and every moment. In any and every situation, conversation, interaction, experience. Whether we are at work or at play, alone or in a crowd, feeling happy or sad, blessed or in need of blessing. Worship reorients us to the way things really are. To the way things are in God's world. The deeper reality so that we can live more faithful, more just, more loving, more joyful lives, and so that we can be a more faithful, more just, more loving, and more joyful community. We need more of that in the world. This past week, one of my favorite writers, Frederick Beatner, passed away. He was uh, such a formative influence on me because he had such a way with words. And he used that gift, that asset, to reveal realities of God, to a world in need. This is what he wrote about worship. To worship God means to serve Him. Basically, there are two ways to do it. One way is to do things for Him that God needs to have done. Run errands, carry messages, fight on His side, feed His lambs, and so on. The other way is to do things for Him that you need to do. Sing songs for Him. Create beautiful things for Him. Give things up for Him. Tell Him what's on your mind. Tell them what's on your heart. And in general, rejoice in Him and make a fool of yourself for Him the way lovers have always made fools of themselves for the one they love. For the one they love. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to love. And to the attention and intention that are part of love. See, as Jocelyn was saying, community and mission are also expressions of worship because it's not just what you engage in, but how you engage. As we heard last week, Romans 12, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, says Paul. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. I could probably check my phone a little less, especially when it distracts me from being present with those I love being present with the people that are in front of me, being present to God's work and to God's world. I could certainly use it with more awareness. But more than that, I want to live a life of worship. That is a life that is integrated and intertwined with God's presence and God's reality, a life that is lived in God's love, and a life that is living out God's love. I don't just want to wag a disapproving finger and say, you should worship, you should pay more attention. What I want you to hear me saying is there is life and goodness with God. You will encounter someone who will change your life. Come and see, give it a shot. Because worship is about attention and intention, but at a deeper level, worship is about love. And so let me close with a poem by Father Joseph Whelan, a Jesuit priest entitled Falling, in love. Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know what breaks your heart and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. And so the invitation this morning is to bring your awareness, to bring your intention, your attention and your intention to bear in opening yourself up to the possibility of being utterly transformed for the better by the God who is love. God who demonstrated that love by becoming a human being and opening up to us the way to an eternal kind of life. It is to commit ourselves or to recommit ourselves individually and corporately to the practice of worship. To the practice of reordering and recentering and realigning ourselves with God, wholly and completely. Not just tinkering around the edges. Not just, I'll let you have my bedtime routine before I go to bed. That's what I'll do with my phone. No. The whole of my life, I want the blessing of God. And the whole of my life, I want the blessing of God in the whole of your life. Let's not mess around the edges. Let love decide everything. Would you pray with me?